we have um, looked now, this will be the fifth week on that it's time to know your church and try to cover some of the basics of what happens and not everything naturally. And it mentioned in our denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, the Articles of Faith, those 16 Articles of Faith. And the last five are listed on the back of your sermon outline this morning, and I promise I'll make something that puts them all together. And what's in there is just a, a little summary with a few of the biblical references that go along with what makes up our doctrine. Uh, there, are, You can go on the denominational website, nazarene.org, and you can find, you can get a hold of a manual in the Church of the Nazarene, and it has all of that and so much more uh, there. But as we come down to this, we're really coming down to trying to understand, so what? You ever ask that question? Somebody says something and you go, so what? And I know I'm not naive enough to think that none of you have thought that, especially going, he said two or three weeks, and now it's been five weeks. Well, first of all, that's just pastoral counting. Um, but it's because this matters, not just for what we do in here, but for what we do everywhere. Because we're called to be the church, not just Sunday mornings at 10. We're called to be the church, period. That means all the time. And we do what we do to make a difference in lives. We do what we do because of the little ones and the big ones, the young ones and those not so young, and everything in between. In fact, this morning, it's neat. We have a very first-time worshiper here this morning, and I'm not going don't, to... Don't wake her up. This is Shay Lynn Turner. And she is less than two months old, just, just a little bit under that. So it's good to have her here. And part of why this stuff matters is because of her and the future. But it's not just for her. It's for those of us that are here. It's for those we're trying to reach. It matters. And we want to get the message out that we are a people who believes that God is still God. That we are a people who offers love, who offers hope, who offers forgiveness. So we maybe all ought to go out and get a tattoo that says love, hope, and forgiveness offered here. Maybe we could do that for Back to Church Sunday. We'll get a tattoo artist and you can just kind of line up all in faith. No, it's not in the budget. <laughs> But it does matter that we get that word out. And it matters because we need to know what we believe. Now, I really think that one of the things that has happened through the World Wide Web, through the Internet, and through all the things we do online, is that there is one key thing that has made all of us, no matter how honest you are under normal circumstances, all of us are liars sometimes online. Here's what I mean. Have you ever clicked the box that said, I have read, understood, and agree with these terms? Have you ever clicked that box 
when you haven't read all of those terms? Have you ever clicked that box when you don't understand those terms at all? Well, I'm afraid too many of us, when it comes to following Christ, do that too. We sometimes go, yeah, I agree. But when we try to explain what we agree with, it's kind of like checking one of those boxes on the internet. I accept it. I haven't read it. I accept it. I don't know if I agree with it or not. And that's been the purpose behind these last few weeks is trying to help us to understand what we say we believe. And then praying that we do not only understand it, but agree with it. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the familiar passage first, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. This has been our foundation for this whole study. And then we're also going to take a look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Now, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, this is Jesus narrowing in to his followers to make sure that they understood and agreed and accepted who he was. It says, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And this is the fifth time you've heard it now, but we are not under that same order. We're supposed to be telling. He hadn't yet revealed this to the world at that time, but he has done that. And we're to make sure that we are letting people know why we believe what we say we believe. Now, the other passage is in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Jesus is early in his ministry and early in his missions of moving around and telling people the good news of the love, hope, and forgiveness that's offered to them. And verse 35 of Matthew 9 says, And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers 
into his harvest. So I have to ask this question. Do you believe that he is the son of God? That the church stands on that, that God himself goes in front of us to guide, direct, and build his church. But then also, do you believe this passage in Matthew 9? Do you believe, first of all, that the harvest is plentiful? Verse 37 of chapter 9, Jesus, after going around teaching, preaching, healing, ministering, comforting, he looked and said, man, the harvest, those in need, the harvest is plentiful. Now, if you know a farmer, you know that this year around here, given the lack of rainfall, there's big questions about whether or not there is a harvest and how much is going to be in it. But the question here this morning is, do you believe that there really are all kinds of people around us who need Jesus? Do you believe there are all kinds of people around us, many of whom are just waiting for somebody to tell them this? Just waiting for somebody even to ask them about it. You know, what's always interesting and we do these invites trying to make it easier to invite people to church, more importantly, so that they can hear the gospel and come into faith with him. And it doesn't have to happen here, but it can. And this can be a place where they hear it for the first time or the second time because you've already told them or you've already shown them. But what matters is we have to believe that there are many in need. Not just good people. But they need to be God's people. I never, ever prayed that my kids would be good kids. And they answered my prayer. For you see, what I really prayed for is that they would be God's kids. And I humbly say they are. You see, the goodness isn't the issue. The godliness is. That's what matters. And we need to firmly believe that the harvest is plentiful. When you head home after church or head for lunch, six or seven out of every ten houses you pass will be somebody who doesn't know Jesus. In fact, I don't know what the number is now, but it's growing. There are going to be a bunch of them who've never even heard. The harvest is plentiful. Do we believe that? And what does that do about how we live? In fact, we probably need to answer this question. And this is the one that the Lord's been pounding at me for the last few weeks. What difference does it make to you? I'm aware of this. I read the stats. I read the articles. I study this. It's part of what I do. But what the Lord has gone after me on recently is, and what difference does it make to me? Does it change anything in my life? 
Does it change what I do, say, where I go? Does it change how I pray or how often I pray? Does it change what I do with what I have? I also have to ask, do you believe that people are harassed? Verse 36 I said, Jesus, as he went through these towns and villages, he saw the crowds. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That word harassed, that we translate harassed is a very interesting word. Some translations say they, they fainted. The better understanding of that word even goes deeper than harassed. It takes an explanation. What he was saying is that there, these people that he saw, so many of them were not just hurting, but they had been bullied. They had been knocked down, distressed with life and everything happening to them. They had been beaten down. They're hurting. You don't have to walk very far to talk to somebody who's hurting for whatever reason. Does it matter to us? It's supposed to. Because we have love, hope, and forgiveness to offer to them. That needs to be what people know about us. Not just what we say, but who we are and what we do. For you see, the harassed and the helpless, he said, are like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd don't do well, neither do we. But what he's really saying is, in this harassment, in this hurt, in this being bullied, oppressed, and beaten down, lost, and hopeless, is that without Christ, they are helpless. We have to ask that question again. What difference does that make to me if that's true? One thing it means is that they're unable to rescue themselves. No matter how many podcasts out there claim it, no matter how many seminars and books that are about self-help, but when it comes to life, when it comes to eternity, without Christ, we can't rescue ourselves does that matter to us and this is one that i i need to ask also do you believe that the workers are few i mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the average week sunday sunday night wednesday night it takes an an average of 42 volunteers to minimally fulfill all the things that we do. That's without any extra stuff. And that's just at the size we are right now. It takes people, it takes people who say, yes, we do need more people to serve, to serve in our children's ministries. We would love to start and desperately need to get started a pre-K ministry, not just children's ministry on Sunday morning. Right now, those who are about three and a half up through sixth grade are put together. That's too big a gap. It's not fair to either end of that in trying to teach, let alone for the workers. We need some more help in the nursery. 
because Shea will be down there soon. We need some more help in youth ministries. Some more sponsors who will just come and love and befriend the teens. Care about them. Pray for them. We need some more help in our technical ministries. Sound and computer and internet. We need some more help in our worship ministries in our visitation basically in everything some of that is so that some of those who are serving now could get a break that they don't now get some of that is so that we can expand into some other ministries we need some more help in our helping hands ministry our our food pantry ministry we need some more help in a lot of places Small groups, greeting, set up, and all over the place. And some of you may not recognize how things work. And our, our local church, our, our church year, as it's called, runs from March 1st through the end of February. We do our church elections near the end of February, elect uh, board members. Those who are going to be delegates get appointed at that time to be at our district assembly and conventions, etc. But some of you may not even realize who our church board members are. Right now, currently, Kathy Dirks, Mary Bradshaw, Kevin Smetters, Vicki Hedrick, Don Yordy, Jeff Scott, Julie Grell, Elise Sharp, Dalen Bradshaw are your church board. Be praying for them. If you've got questions, talk to them. If you don't know who they are, ask. I'll point them out. We need to know that those who are here are saying, yes, let's keep going. And I know some of you may be going, I can't do the things you mentioned. Well, there are all kinds of things you can do in prayer, in support, in attendance, in encouragement, in giving. And there are probably some things you could do in those areas because you only see the big stuff or the upfront stuff and think there's nothing else that happens. There are all kinds of things that take place where you could help. So we have to ask, do I believe the harvest is plentiful? Do I believe that people are harassed and hurting? Do I believe that the workers are few? Well, if those things are true, and I know that they are, then it's time. This passage in Matthew 9 says, it's time to pray earnestly. Verse 38 Jesus said, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And if you'll notice, chapter 10 of Matthew is where Jesus gathered them up, not just the 12, but a whole bunch more, and sent them out. That was why he was saying this. We need to be praying for this. And that phrase pray, that we translate pray earnestly. I did a little research on that. I was curious. That exact Greek phrase in the original Greek is only in the New Testament eight different times. And one of those is on the similar passage in Luke sharing this same word from the Lord. This is a big deal. 
prayer and praying fervently, etc., is all through the Bible and all through the New Testament, but this exact phrase is only in there eight times by my count. To pray earnestly. Now, what does that mean? We don't use the word earnest a lot. Now, if you've ever watched the old Andy Griffith show, you know Ernest T. Bass, but that's not the earnest we're talking about. If you have no idea what that is, go home and Google it. You'll find him. He loved rocks. But it says to pray earnestly. That means, one, to pray passionately, not casually or passively. To pray passionately. That simply means to feel it in your gut when you're praying. Not like you're praying for the meal, Lord, thanks for this food. But when you're praying for someone's soul, when you're praying for a marriage, when you're praying for someone's health, to pray passionately, not casually, not passively. It also means to pray often, not occasionally. It was a few years ago when the Lord really, really convicted me on how much I was praying. And I thought I was praying a fair amount, so I started keeping track and found out I wasn't praying near as much as I thought I was. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to set a morning or two aside where I just do nothing but pray for a solid hour straight. You know what I found out? An hour is really long. You know, the first morning I did that, man, I I had everything ready. I had my list made out. I prepared and I made sure it was quiet. I wasn't near the phone. And man, I prayed about anything and everything. And I finished and went, wow, that hour went by fast. And I looked and it was 10 minutes. Now, I'm not saying you need to be measuring it, but we need to pray often. Not just occasionally. Not just to bless the food. But to be praying often. And that also means to have an attitude of prayer. So I don't have to really be prepared. I can just pray. Now I used to call them throw up prayers. And and Jody said don't use that phrase. So I don't say throw up prayers anymore. But it means to have those where I can pray now. In this moment. And do you know it's okay to pray with your eyes open? If you've ever driven, you do. You better. To be praying passionately, often, and to pray specifically, not generically. Praying specifically. You know, I pray a lot different for the needs in Kenya than I used to. That all changed 11 or 12 years ago when my kids went there as missionaries. I had an investment in that. We need to be praying that way about the needs around us, praying specifically. That's why I often ask when somebody shares, pray for my neighbor or coworker, I'll say, what's their name? 
I want to pray for them by name. Now, yes, God knows when I'm praying for that what my thought is, but I need to be reminded that this is a soul I'm praying for. This is somebody's life. This is someone's loved one. We need to be praying earnestly for the church, for us in the church, praying specifically, passionately, and often for the needs of those around us because that's what we're to be about. Also, it's time to get into the harvest. Now, see, farmers have to go out in the field and they have to test things to see, is it time? Is it time? And this is about the time of the year they start doing that often, partially because they're anxious to do it. They've been waiting for several months. Partially because they love doing it. We need to do the same. We need to be checking where is the greatest need around me. We need to get into the harvest. And according to what this says, you need to get into it right where you are. You don't have to go to Kenya like my kids did. They were called to do that. And if you are, God bless you. We will pray and send and give for you. But we got huge harvest field. We got a huge mission field right around us. Do you realize that other countries now send missionaries to the United States? Thank you. I'm glad they do. Because we need it. We have great needs. All around us. We need to realize that we are already living in the harvest. So we better participate. We get into the harvest right where we are. And one of the ways we get into the harvest is not just in our serving specifically and physically, but how we're praying as well as how we're giving. And giving goes in a lot of different ways, giving of our time and our talents. The very first church where Jody and I served, there was a wonderful lady. Husband was not only not a believer, but was against the church. She wasn't allowed to give anything financially. But she was so talented graphically. She was a wonderful artist. So she was constantly making stuff for us. This was before we got the nice color printers, etc. We had the best posters in the world because she made them for us. And that was her giving to us. There are all kinds of ways we can give. Oh, yeah, we need to give financially. And thank you for those who do. And may your number multiply. As a church body, we have responsibilities. We talked about we had to spend over $20,000 to fix and then to upgrade some of our heating and cooling. And part of the money that was spent is so that hopefully that doesn't happen again. But that takes money coming in. But we have budgets that we give for our local church as well as to our denomination. Our denominational missions that is in 165 different world areas. We're not required to give this much, but our church generally averages more than 10% that we give to that. 
You brought in and gave money towards school pow packs to help kids in other countries have school supplies. And Julie Grell, our missions president, shipped off 15 cases, which represented 300 pa- or 150 pow packs, which takes care of 300 children. Thank you for your giving. We don't keep it all here. We don't hoard it up. We send it away. We have budgets that we give for Olivet Nazarene University to help to make that a, an education with a Christian purpose to be able to continue. We also give for our district so that it can have the camps and all kinds of other things that it has and our leadership that we have. We give for the retirement fund for missionaries and pastors in the Church of the Nazarene. We also give to local missions around here. In the last three months, we've given away more than $3,000 to help families in our community. That doesn't count everything that goes through in and out of helping hands. Somewhere around 20 to 25% of what comes in on average goes out. We don't even keep it in-house. It goes to all kinds of things away from here. So yes, there's a need for financial giving, but there's a need, as we've already mentioned, for bodies, physical giving, of time, of prayer as well. And you see, because of the needs that are there, it's time for us to have compassion. Now that word is interesting in verse 36 of Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Some translations say he had compassion on them. But the word that's translated compassion there is not how we usually understand it. We have a tendency to think of compassion as, aw, that's too bad. Or, man, that, that, that's, that's not right. That's not this word. The word that's there is a punch in the gut because of the need that you saw. Something that deeply impacted him. This is Jesus Christ who felt this way when he saw those in need. It's time for us to have compassion, to feel it to our core. But it's got to be more than just feeling bad about a situation. (laughs) It's got to be more than, well, bless their heart. It's got to be, what can I do? Because I feel this. Sometimes, you know what it is? It's sitting down with somebody and just sitting with them and not saying anything. You go in the Old Testament, read the book of Job and all the stuff that Job went through. He had some friends and for the first few days, his friends were awesome. They sat down with him and listened to him and cared for him. And then they started talking and they blew it all. I'm not saying we should never say anything, but we need to make sure that what we're doing is focused on them, not us. That what we're doing is pointing them to him, not us. To have compassion on them. To do more than just feel bad. There's an old song that says, I'm tired of being stirred, but not being changed. 
It means I'm tired of just having some feelings bubble up and then walk out and nothing changes. We need to actually have that compassion like Jesus did where it hits us in our core. In other words, we need to feel it, but then we need to act on it. Watch any of those commercials, all those groups, whether it's for kids or, or, or for Jews over in Ukraine or whether it's for cats and dogs or um, kids that are homeless or homeless, period, any of those things. They never just present the need. Have you noticed they always say, and here's how you can help? Now, in their case, it's all about giving some money. But that needs to be true for us. We feel that, we acknowledge that. If we really believe that the harvest is plentiful, if we really believe that there are people around us hurting, harassed, helpless, then we need to act on it. And sometimes the action starts out saying, Lord, I want to do something, but I have no idea what. That's where you go back to the praying earnestly. That's where you go back to sharing with somebody. That's where you go back to praying with someone else. They might know something that you don't know. Did you know this is available? Did you know we can do this? It's time to be the church. The church that really does love, hope, and forgive. The church that really does let people know you are welcome here. Not that we agree with everything. No. Jesus didn't. You don't, you don't have to read too long in the Gospels in the New Testament to see Jesus didn't agree with a lot of the stuff that people brought to him. But he still cared. And he always acted on it. We've talked about some of the things that we believe in the Bible and who Jesus is and the power of the Holy Spirit, the idea not just of salvation but of sanctification, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about divine healing and we believe in baptism and we're about to have another baptism service either at the end of October or early November. If you have interest in being baptized, let me know. We also believe in sharing together in communion and we're doing that coming up soon. We believe in divine healing. You saw a few weeks ago, we gathered together and laid hands on someone praying for them. We also believe that the judgment day is coming. There's a resurrection, not just Jesus's resurrection, but all of us to a time of judgment. And that's why it matters that the harvest is so plentiful. So what can you do? Whatever the Lord tells you to do. But my prayer in these five weeks has been that you would read, have a better understanding, and accept the terms of what Jesus has called us as a body of believers and you as an individual, if you're following Christ, what he has called us to do. And that if you don't yet know him, you can. You can know him, even right now. You can ask him to come into your life. You can ask him for the forgiveness of your sins. You can ask him to cleanse you and you become a child of God. That's what we're about. That's who we are. 
And next Sunday is really a celebration of who we are. That's why we're trying to invite as many people as possible so that they can celebrate with us as we tell them the good news that love, hope, and forgiveness is offered here in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, what will you do with what you now know? Father, thank you for what you've provided and mainly through you. Thank you for your gift, your sacrifice, your death and resurrection so that we could have life. Lord, thank you that you also sent your Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us because we can't do this on our own. We're just harassed and helpless without you. Lord, help us to see and to feel the needs around us. But Lord, then help us to act on it, to listen to people, to reach out to help, to gather together, to serve, so that we can reach more and more people, so that we can train our children and our youth about you and what it means to be the church. Oh, Lord. May your spirit just fall upon us in a powerful, meaningful, life-changing way so that as we go from here, we change where we go. We change those we come in contact with. Lord, the harvest is plentiful. I'm praying for the workers for those who are already serving and those who are about to, that we would represent you well. It's time for us to be the church. In Jesus' name.